When I was a little girl growing up on our farm, I had the upstairs back bedroom in the house. Back in that it was the furthest from the stairs and thus further from any access to my parents. In some ways, this was a good thing. If I was reading after lights out time, I could hear them coming up the stairs and quickly cut the light and stash my book before they could even see my door. The downside, however, of being far away from them was my fear of the horrible old woman who I knew lived in my closet. It's true that I had never actually seen her, but sometimes I could hear her scuffling around in there, and I could vividly imagine her creeping out with her long, scraggly hair, her fiery eyes, and grabbing me with her jagged fingernails. Okay, many of you may have similar stories because I am told that for young kids, fear of the dark is one of the most common phobias. We just long for a reassuring parent to come and turn on the light and tell us it's okay. But today, we will look at a story where the fear is triggered not by darkness, but by light. It's a familiar story, one we hear every Christmas. Choral singers will probably be hearing the words set to Handel's melodies, And those of my generation raised on the Charlie Brown Christmas will hear Linus reciting the passage from the King James Version. Here's how J.B. Phillips translated this part of Luke's biography of Jesus. There were some shepherds living in the same part of the country, keeping guard throughout the night over their flocks in the open fields. Suddenly, An angel of the Lord stood by their side. The splendor of the Lord blazed around them, and they were terror-stricken. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen, I bring you glorious news of great joy, which is for all the people. This very day in David's town, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. Let this prove it to you. You will find a baby wrapped up and lying in a manger. And in a flash there appeared with the angel a vast host of the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace upon earth among men of good will. When the angels left them and went back into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Now let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. So they came as fast as they could, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen this sight, they told everybody what had been said to them about the little child. And those who heard them were amazed at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured all these things and turned them over in her mind. The shepherds went back to work, glorifying and praising God for everything that they had heard and seen, which had happened just as they had been told. 
When a story is as familiar as this one, it becomes easy to gloss over the incongruities of it. The incongruity of the proclamation of a royal birth coming first to shepherds. These were country bumpkins who were clearly at the lower end of the economic pecking order. They were also low on the religious hierarchy scale. They were not the kind of Torah scholars who might expect to get the announcement about Messiah. They weren't even educated people. And because of the nature of their work, they were often ritually unclean. Why ever would they be the favored first recipients of this wonderful news? Then there's the incongruity of the sign they are given to confirm the birth of this long-awaited royal infant. They're not told there'll be a new banner on the flagpole above a palace in Jerusalem and bands of musicians playing fanfares from the balconies. No, they're told the sign will be that the baby is in the feeding trough of a barn in Nowheresville, Bethlehem. But the incongruity that I want to focus on is that the shepherds were at ease in the dark, but terrified, sore afraid, as Linus would have said, when the light came. Unlike me as a youngster in the back bedroom, these shepherds apparently were quite comfortable in the dark. For them, it was safe, unthreatening, predictable, familiar. They may have been huddled around a little fire that cast just enough light to see that each other was there and that the sheep hadn't strayed. It may not have been great. Some rainy nights they'd probably have preferred to be indoors, but it was familiar. It never took them outside their comfort zone. They were with people they had literally known their whole life and doing work they'd been doing since they were kids. It's possible there were strange and even terrible things outside their small circle, but as long as those things didn't intrude into their space, as long as they could huddle together and stay off the radar screen of such outsiders, all would be good. But then, on an otherwise perfectly ordinary night, they are suddenly surrounded by light, not just someone coming up the hill carrying a torch, not just the moon peeking out between clouds, but the brilliant radiance of God's glory, incredible light, and an equally incredible message, with choreographed angels and a choral anthem, a truly cinematic experience, if they'd had cinemas back then. As the last strains of the music died away, they probably stared at each other in gape-faced confusion. Maybe they'd been dreaming. Or maybe it had been that bad homemade wine that Simon brought along with him for supper that night. It would be so tempting for those whose turn it was to sleep just to roll over and pretend it was a bad dream. But they couldn't escape it. Now what? That was the question. Back in grade six English class, we were taught the components of a story. 
setting, character, point of view, theme, and plot. And in the plot, there was always an inflection point, a turning point, a point where if the protagonist makes one choice, the conflict resolves and the story glides to a happy ending. Or if the opposite choice is made, the story lurches inescapably forward into tragedy. Think of King Lear and his decision to believe the insincere and self-serving flattery of Goneril and Regan and reject the humble and heartfelt love of Cordelia. Or Faust making his deal with the devil. Or, on a happier note, Elizabeth Bennet's decision to reread Mr. Darcy's letter. Had she not done so, her parents would have ended up in the poorhouse and she and Jane as mousy governesses in someone else's home. These are the moments of decision that set the course for the rest of the tale. It seems to me that the inflection point in the story of the shepherds is not the dramatic arrival of angels or the announcement of a royal birth or even the giving of a sign. It's when the shepherds themselves decide what to do in response to the intrusion of light into their darkness. With the benefit of hindsight, we may think it's totally obvious what they should do. In our own lives, we may think that all of our problems would be solved if God would just speak plainly to us in a miraculous fashion. Wouldn't that be helpful? We may think that. But the reality of our own, but in the reality of our own messy lives, I wonder if that's true. After all, angelic messages come with implications, implications that can be pretty open-ended, implications that can leave us wanting to skulk back into the darkness. Like the shepherds, we might be more fearful than grateful if that kind of light were to come. And fear of the light may prompt us to dismiss what we thought we heard, especially if the implications are threatening or demanding. This notion of talking ourselves out of what we have heard, what we thought we just heard, because we can't deal with the implications, is something C.S. Lewis explores both in his science fiction trilogy and in the Narnia stories. Think, for example, of the story The Magician's Nephew. Andrew Ketterly, a third-rate magician, ends up stumbling into the world of Narnia on the day of its birth. In Lewis's story, the new world is being created out of the song that Aslan the Lion, the Christ figure, is singing. Connection between the textures of the song And the created life springing forth in rapid succession is thrilling for those who see it. Well, for those whose hearts are open, but not for the unhappy magician. Lewis writes, When the lion had first begun singing long ago when it was still quite dark, the magician had realized that the noise was a song, and he had disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then, when the sun rose and he saw the singer was a lion, he tried his hardest to believe that it wasn't singing and had never been singing, only roaring as any lion would. 
And the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder he tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble with trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. And the magician did. He soon did not hear anything but roaring in Aslan's song. And that's exactly what our shepherds might have done when they reached the turning point of their story. After all, their experience was every bit as supernatural as that of a singing lion. And the message they were given was itself so improbable, so full of the incongruities I talked about earlier. On top of that, the whole idea came with a fair amount of risk. If they head off on this wild goose chase to Bethlehem for the rest of the night, how many sheep are they likely to have left when they come back? But instead of talking themselves out of what they had seen, they chose to believe, and they headed off to Bethlehem. Last week, Aaron talked about the story of Mary and her visit to her cousin Elizabeth, both of whom were coming to terms with a miraculous pregnancy. Luke records that when Mary arrives, Elizabeth feels the baby leaping in her womb, and she says to Mary, A blessing on you for believing that the Lord, what the Lord said to you would come true. I wonder if Mary repeated that blessing to the shepherds when she heard their story. Blessed are you for believing that what the Lord said to you was true. The shepherds chose to leave the comfortable familiarity of their hillside encampment. They chose to walk away from a place that, while it wasn't perfect, at least it felt safe and unthreatening. They left that and stepped into the light. And what did those poor, frightened shepherds encounter when they arrived in Bethlehem? They found Jesus. I began this morning talking about being afraid to be in the dark, a very common fear of young children. But for adults, that phobia doesn't even make it into the top 10 common fears. In fact, I suspect that some of us kind of like the darkness, What we fear is to be seen in our weakness and vulnerability. We fear having those parts of our lives that we are ashamed of exposed to the light. We may be afraid that people will see all that and reject us. And even more, we may fear that God will see all our mess as though hiding in the dark could prevent God from seeing us, but then most fears aren't particularly rational. The Christmas angel who comes to the shepherds in brilliant and penetrating light says, Don't be afraid. I'm bringing good news, not bad news. Good news that's for everyone, not just the select few. Good news that's not just good for us, like cod liver oil or some other nasty-tasting medicine, but good news that brings great joy. The good news of Christmas is that God is choosing to be with us. We're told that one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means 
God with us. God with us, not against us. God with us, not a genie in a bottle fixing all the circumstances of our lives to our satisfaction, but God present to us, walking with us in our dailiness and in our suffering. And the message that Jesus brings is good news, not bad news, not a warning of coming judgment. For centuries, the Hebrew people had been given a series of prophets who did little but condemn their behavior and warn them of impending judgment. But now the angels announce that Jesus' birth means good news of great joy. And yet, even though all that sounds good, we may still be tempted to dismiss it. In our lives, we've been hurt by people and may have felt disappointed by God. We may want to scorn the Christmas story as a nice myth for children, but not true enough to withstand the glare of adult realities. We may want to explain away the angel's message as no more than some animal noises overlaid with late-night thunder misheard by drunk shepherds. But still, the message is sent to us. Do not be afraid. Listen, I bring you glorious news of great joy, which is for all the people. This very day in David's town, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. We are in the season of Advent, a season when we acknowledge the darkness, darkness around us and darkness in us. And we await the coming of the light. May we hear the angels' encouragement to fear not, and may we step forward into that light.